Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Here's this week's message. Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. This is the parable of the wedding feast. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out, into the highways, and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The word of God for us today. When showing up isn't enough. Can you imagine this story? Just imagine that you were to receive a personal invitation to a banquet at the White House. The President of the United States is going to be there and has personally invited you to attend. Not only that, but you will be picked up at the local airport and whisked off to Washington, D.C. in Air Force One. You're going to be given the VIP treatment that only visiting heads of state receive. So how do you respond? You say, oh, that's next Saturday? Mm, let's see, well, I don't know. I was, uh, I was planning to go out and uh, check, uh, check on my garden that day. Uh, so no, I'd, I'm going to pass. Thanks. The, the cornfields corn need my attention. And imagine that the president was so concerned that you might not have the appropriate dress that he gave you a gift certificate for formal wear. You just didn't bother to go get the tux or the evening gown, and showed up the White House in the dirty overalls you love to wear when you're garden. Not likely, is it? Well, those stories are similar to the parable Jesus tells in our text today, and this parable was just as unlikely. Jesus tells the story of a king's son who was getting married. The king decides to plan the event of a lifetime and sends invitations to all the right people to attend. But the invited guests come up with lame excuses. They further mistreat the king 
by mistreating his messengers and even killing some of them. The king is so enraged that his guests not only reject his invitation, but mistreat and kill his messengers. So he calls up his troops and makes total destruction of the invited guests, their towns, their villages. But the king insists on having a party and that the banquet hall be full. All this effort and all this expense is not to be wasted. So he sends his servants out into the streets and alleys, alleys, the bars, the nightclubs, the restaurants, the theaters, the flop houses, the homeless shelters. He invites the old, the young, the rich, the poor, the good, the bad. Come and fill the banquet room. All is well. Except now the king notices that one man has come to the party to enjoy the food, but he has refused to wear the wedding garment. And many have suggested that the king actually provided white robes for everybody attending. But at any rate, this man chose not to dress up for the occasion. So the king throws him out. So let's take a look at this in a little more detail. First, we must note God's gracious invitation. This is obviously more than a story about a king and a banquet. It is the story of salvation history in which God sent prophets and Christian evangelists with good news, which some reject and others accept. There are a number of parallels between this parable and the one we studied last week, the parable of the wicked tenants. In both parables, the owner or the king provides something wonderful. In the first, it was a, a fine vineyard. In the second, a banquet feast. He then sends slaves to convey a message. In both parables, the people mistreat and kill the slaves. But the owner persists, sending other slaves, whom the people also mistreat. He then punishes the people. The son is involved in both parables, although in different ways. So we need to look at this. We know this parable. We know that the king is God, the son is Jesus, the invited guests are the Jewish people, the first slaves are the Hebrew people, the second and third sets of slaves are the Christian missionaries, the burned city is Jerusalem, the good and bad constitute the mixed membership of the church. And today I want to focus on the rejected invitation. Why was the invitation rejected? The parable says simply that the guests would not come. They offer no excuses, but simply refuse to honor the invitation. Perhaps they had accepted the invitation sometime earlier. It was easy to accept an invitation for a dinner to be held sometime in the future. You know, they didn't have uh, phones like we have today with our calendars and our agendas on them. They didn't even have a calendar on their refrigerator to, you know, write down, oh, yeah, we have something going on this weekend. So it's possible it's easy to forget. Merely accepting the invitation did not inconvenience them in that way. It was an honor to be invited. But it was something entirely different when it came to drop what they are doing to change their clothes, and to go to the banquet. 
Likewise, the call of Christ may be easy to accept in principle. It's a no-brainer to choose heaven over hell. But we may find it more inconvenient to accept the particulars about following Christ. What about Christ's call to serve? Maybe serve on the church board. Maybe serve by teaching Sunday school. Maybe serve by tithing. Some have suggested that there were political reasons for refusing the invitation. The attendance of the great men of the kingdom at the wedding feast of the king's son would be expected not only as a necessary expression of the honor they owe the king, but also as an expression of their loyalty to the legitimate succession to his throne. They know full well that their behavior will be understood as insurrection. And apparently this is what they intended. And those who kill the king's messengers only make this intention known more emphatically. In this light, we can better understand the king's violent response in verse 7. Others have said that the primary reason the invited guests don't go is because they don't want to go. It's not a situation where they can't go, they just don't want to. Their not wanting to attend indicates that they did not view the invitation as an honor or a privilege, even though it came from a king. This is followed by a second invitation. Even if they don't like the king, perhaps they will come because of all the good free food. Again, the invited guest's response shows a lack of respect. In verse 5, we read that they made light of it. Here is a response of apathy. They want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. They went about their ordinary affairs. One went to his farm, another to his business. Good things, not bad things, distracted them. These aren't excuses, but personal concerns that they think are more important than the king's invitation to his most important celebration for his son. Temptation often comes clothed in wholesome attire. We have to work, to run errands, to take care of the children, to clean the house, to cook, to wash dishes, to pay the bills, to bow the lawn, to repair the leaky faucet. Where can we find room on our to-do list for God? Is it too far-fetched? Is this a parable that could never happen? Of course not. We see the same thing happening all around us every day, and especially on Sunday morning. The King of King, the Lord of Lords, the Almighty Creator of the universe invites us to a party, a feast, a banquet, the marriage feast of His Son. But we offer excuses. Oh, I was up late last night, and Sunday is my only chance to sleep in. I, I don't want to miss the opening kickoff at noon. Ah, sure was a beautiful morning for fishing. Ah, the kids have a soccer match this morning. The family is coming over for dinner, and I've got to get ready. When you don't want to do something, any excuse will do no matter how flimsy or absurd. If you took the same excuses that people use for not going to church and applied them to other important areas of life, you'd realize how inconsistent 
we can be in our logic. For example, some have suggested these reasons not to wash themselves. See how ridiculous they sound. I was forced to wash as a child. I wash on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. People who wash are hypocrites. They think they are cleaner than everyone else. There are so many different kinds of soap, I can't decide which one is best. So I don't wash. I used to wash, but it got boring, so I stopped. None of my friends wash. The washroom is never warm enough in winter or cool enough in the summer. I'll start washing, washing when I get older and dirtier. I can't spare the time to wash now. People who make soap are only after your money. Interesting, isn't it? Pretty funny how that is. those are all excuses for reasons people don't go to church. But change church for wash, and it sounds pretty ridiculous. Finally, we must look at the man who came without the wedding garment. We must point out that the wedding robe has nothing to do with the kind of clothing, fancy or plain, that we wear to church. But it is clear that the key to understanding this allegory is the symbolism of the wedding robe. But Jesus doesn't explain exactly what the wedding robe represents. Augustine thought of it as the charity. Luther said it was faith. Calvin thought it was good works. Wearing the garments indicates one's participation in the joy of the feast. To appear in ordinary, soiled working clothes would show contempt for the occasion, a refusal to join in the king's rejoicing. This man is no more worthy than those who rejected the invitation. They refused the invitation to the feast. He shows contempt on the feast while actually attending it. In effect, he has not really accepted the invitation, since the invitation is not just to be physically present at the feast, but also to participate in the king's rejoicing over the marriage of his son. Clothing is a common New Testament metaphor for spiritual change. Paul wrote in Romans, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And in 1 Corinthians, The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. In Colossians we read, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Finally, in 1 Peter, we are admonished, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Being clothed anew is a consistent New Testament expression for holiness and righteousness. The old clothes have to come off and new ones put on. This text confronts us with the paradox of God's free invitation to the banquet with no strings attached and God's requirement of putting on something appropriate to that calling. The theological point is that we are warned of the dire consequences of accepting the invitation and doing nothing except showing up. Let us pray.
Father, you know the hearts of all who are gathered here, and I pray that we are drawn closer to you. Clothe us in your righteousness so that we might enjoy the eternal celebration and not be cast into that place of outer darkness for weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is your message. This is the call of the Father to celebrate the Son. This is the warning. Help us, Lord, to apply it in our own hearts as we come to you each and every day. Amen.